We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to anoint this time of uh, diving into your word to hear what you have to speak to us today, Lord. I pray that every ear would be opened in this room and every heart would be open, Lord, to hear your word, that it would uh, take uh, root deep in our souls and transform us into the image of your son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. You know, one thing I could never stand was stinginess. I was eating at one of these fancy hotel restaurants downtown Orlando once. I wasn't buying, so I I ordered the $40 sea bass, and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a tasty, filling meal. And the waitress comes out with this little fancy wooden uh, board with a little thing like this big on it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at her, and excuse me, ma'am, is this this the appetizer or what? Oh, no, that's the sea bass fillet. Huh. Or maybe even worse, when my waffle cone doesn't get filled up with ice cream, even to the top of the actual cone itself, when it's under, that is a no-no. Don't leave it under the bottom line of the waffle cone. I could go on and on and on. Um, or when I see pledge cards for the next year. No, that, oh, that was below the belt, wasn't it? That was below the belt. Sorry, that was just a joke, just a joke. Uh, um, one of the things, one of the things that we learn about God from Scripture is that He is not a stingy God. He's a God of generosity. He's a God of blessing. It's actually in His very nature to pour Himself outwards towards others. You know, the church fathers in the early centuries, they had this term, this Greek word, perichoresis, and it meant interpenetration. And what it was describing was the eternal joyous dance of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who were in eternal communion with one another, pouring themselves out in love towards the other person. Isn't that a beautiful image? Isn't that a beautiful concept? You see, but God's posture towards humanity is likewise to pour himself out in love for the sake of intimate fellowship with human beings. What we're going to do today, I'd like to talk about one of God's greatest acts of generosity is the outpouring of his spirit on his people. You all know when you looked at the readings and and you saw Joel 2 that you knew I was going to preach on this um, because I love our friend, the Holy Spirit. Now, um, what's going on in the Joel 2 passage? Now, this is the one on the insert that you have to look at and you have to follow along there. Maybe some of you have your Bible. We're in Joel chapter 22, starting in 23. The context is this. I don't want to say a lot about the context and get hung up on, on that too much. But the context is that God is promising future blessing and restoration for Israel, who had been uh, under a time of attack from other nations. They're, they're, um, uh, they're just a time of oppression and exile. And God says there's a future age of restoration coming. And so we move down a little bit uh, into the passage where this is verse 28 and God says this, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens above and so on and so forth. Now, God says, I will pour out my spirit. It's so important to remember that God's spirit isn't an attachment to God. God's spirit is God. Say this, God's spirit is God. God says, I will pour out myself 
on all flesh. Now, what does he mean by all flesh or all people? It obviously doesn't mean every single person because there will be some people who will not receive the Lord and, and receive his Holy Spirit. But what it means is all kinds of people. And so what Joel is saying is that this outpouring of God's spirit, God's self on people, is not going to be for a special priestly class only, or a special class of prophets, or apostles, or only men, or only women, or only young, or only old. It's going to be for everyone who desires it and calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. It's for all kinds of people. And the signs of this outpouring would be dreams. Vision, prophecy, miraculous wonders, right? Now, it's no wonder that Peter actually takes Joel chapter 2 as his preaching text right after the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. It's just about the best passage you can pull from your Bible, and all they had was the Old Testament, and say, here's what's happening. It's a fulfillment of this. You remember what happened? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and and appearing like tongues of fire on the 120 who were gathered together waiting to be clothed with power according to Jesus' promise. They get hit with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in the tongues of all of the other nations that were there and proclaiming the gospel in other foreign tongues that they did not know naturally in and of themselves. And then people looked at what was going on and apparently they were also acting a little bit drunk because that can happen when you get filled with the Holy Spirit because you have so much joy. The joy of the Lord is in you. And the people standing around, some of them are scoffing and going, they've been hitting the the, uh, grandpa's secret sauce at nine in the morning. And Peter says, no, it's only 9 a.m. These men are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with new wine, right? Symbolic new wine of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes and he starts to preach out of Joel chapter two. He says, brothers, Brothers, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. It's happening. This new age has dawned. The age of the Messiah, the age of salvation has begun. We are now living in it because the evidence is that the Holy Spirit is poured out. And then a few chapters later, even the Gentiles start getting hit. Right? It's amazing. Now, let me remind you of another uh, story of somebody getting filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, we read this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. We often think, that everything Jesus did, he was doing to sort of show off as God. But we must not forget that he became fully human. And the Bible tells us he, he set aside divine attributes and everything he had access to, to live a fully human life. And so that is why he is baptized, not because he's a sinner in need of, of cleansing, but to identify with humanity and the Holy Spirit, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus. That is Jesus's baptism in the Holy Spirit, literally. And we'll talk more about the the water, the connection of water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit in a few minutes. So Jesus is baptized as a human, filled with the Holy Spirit as a human, and then he, from that point, begins his public ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit as a fully human being. He starts to cast out demons and say he's come to destroy the works of the devil. He starts to heal sick bodies. He starts to proclaim the message of freedom and and salvation and forgiveness of sins. 
Because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. And what Jesus is doing in all of his life and ministry from that point on is demonstrating for us what it looks like to be fully human as God created us to be, to be a dwelling place for his spirit and to carry out the works of power that he intended us to walk in. Okay, Jesus, fast forward, after his death and resurrection, is speaking to his disciples. This is one of my favorite promises from Jesus. It applies to us as much as it did to his disciples. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus is speaking with them in his glorified, his resurrected body. And he says to them, he gives them instructions. He says, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. What is the promise of the father? We just read about it in Joel chapter two. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has to do not with initial saving faith in Jesus, but with being empowered, closed with heavenly power for life, ministry, and mission. Now we go forward to the next book that Luke writes, which is the Acts of the Apostles, and we see Jesus again reiterating to his disciples. He says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, we know what happens is they they go, they're waiting in Jerusalem. Jesus ascends to go and to to be with dad. And he is there and he pours out his Holy Spirit on the apostles at Pentecost. And all of that happens. And it's like a sonic boom that hits the earth and the gospel begins to go outward to the ends of the the world, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then we get to Acts 10 and a sign that the spirit has been poured out on all flesh is that Peter gets a vision, a prophetic vision to go to a man named Cornelius's house. I always wondered if they called him corny for short, but um, <clears throat> that there is that was kind of an ironic like joke because it was corny. But Peter is preaching to the Gentiles, right? The unclean ones who are not part of God's covenant people. He's preaching to them. And, you know, Peter's thinking, well, once my sermon ends, I'll give an altar call. But before he can even get halfway through his sermon, the Holy Spirit falls in power on the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Whether you like it or not, getting filled with the Holy Spirit and often a manifestation is that you speak in a language that you do not know. It just is reality. That is often what happens. Not every single time, but it is often what happens is what we see in Scripture often. This is why Peter knew that this was the fulfilling of Joel's text saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because now the Gentiles are calling on the name of the Lord. They got filled with his Holy Spirit. Listen to this. I love how God works outside the box. They didn't say the sinner's prayer and get baptized in water and then receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. They just got doused in the Holy Spirit and started prophesying and speaking in tongues and everything else followed afterwards. I'm sure Peter led them in the sinner's prayer to receive Jesus on their heart. Kidding. But the Lord works outside of the box. Amen. Now, how many of you have ever thought, I wish I, you know, I want to, in theory, I just, I wish I had more boldness to share Jesus with other people. But I just, I get there and I know in my mind, the Holy Spirit is saying, share Jesus. And I just like, I don't have the words. And so I just say, have a great day. I hope you're having a great day. How many of you find yourself in that situation? Or you say, I wish I could share the, the Lord with my daughter or my son or my sister, or my brother, or my coworker, or my friend. I wish I could share Jesus, but I just don't 
seem to have the boldness and I don't know what it is, but I just freeze up and I can't do it. Friends, people of God, the Lord in his generosity wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on you and fill you because you won't have that boldness until he gives it to you when he pours himself out in you in a powerful way. Or how many of you have said, I read about the spiritual gifts in the Bible and I've seen other people that have spiritual gifts, but I don't know if I have any. I don't really know what they are. I wish I had them. Friends, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about some practical things to do that before the sermon is over. So don't worry. I just want you to be on the edge of your seats for a few minutes. You see, God wants to pour out his generosity on you. He wants to pour out himself. And so many Christians, friends, this is serious. So many Christians are missing this. And it's the biblical key to a power-filled life of loving Jesus and sharing him with others. It is the key that we are missing. And to say more about that in just a minute. You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit in Scripture is not about private mystical experience. It is always associated with boldness for evangelism. As soon as all the disciples get filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, they begin to proclaim the gospel and it begins to go out to the ends of the earth. God wants to pour out his spirit on us for the sake of taking the message of salvation, the good news to all of the world. And then other things happen when you become filled with the Holy Spirit. You become more embold for ministry. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I had way more boldness. I shared Jesus with more people. I led more people to salvation in Christ than I ever had in 10 years. I think I led one person to Christ. And after that, it was like four or five people in a few months. It was amazing. But it's him. It's not me. It's because I didn't have it in myself. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm boasting on, on Christ and his spirit. I, more people would get healed when I lay hands on them and pray for them. Not everybody, but a whole lot more people than that, that used to when I would pray for sick with, with barely any faith, with those faith-destroying words, if it be thy will. I don't pray that way anymore because I know it's his will. By the way, more healing testimonies from Thursday night's uh, service to come. Really incredible stuff. Um, Bill Johnson, Pastor Bill Johnson, he says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and he wants out. He wants out. Friends, he is a river of living water, not a lake. He wants out. Now, so I can clear up maybe some any possible confusion, I want to talk about having the Holy Spirit versus being filled with the Holy Spirit because there is a difference. It's biblical. Now, think about it like this. I don't want anybody to think who has given their life to Jesus and believed on him as Lord and Savior and been baptized in water to think that they're not saved because they haven't been filled up with the Holy Spirit. Okay, once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and put your trust in him for eternal life and for the forgiveness of your sins, you are saved. You get baptized in water. It's the outward symbol of that and a powerful thing happens. But think about this scenario. You have dinner guests. Let's say you're you're Mrs. Jones and you have Mrs. Jones has dinner guests who are scheduled to arrive at 6 p.m. for dinner and to her horror the doorbell rings at 5:45 the kitchen's still a mess she's still finishing things up the bread is about to burn her. she doesn't get out of the husband uh, out of the uh, oven her hair is a mess and so she shouts joey go let them in and keep them in the front living room give them the newspaper talk to them bring them some coffee keep them in, and i'll be out in a few minutes okay and then she goes and she finishes everything she hurries up and gets ready and she comes out and she receives them into her house all the way with all the gifts that they bear that they brought with them You see, it's kind of like that. You can have the Holy Spirit, but not yet have received his fullness into your life and asked him to fill you up and empower you for witness. 
I've been reading a, a sort of a scholarly, like historical book on baptism in the Holy Spirit by 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 two uh, Catholic scholars, and they're looking, they're surveying the first eight centuries of the church. And you see the common practice, this has just been blowing my mind, the common practice used to be this, at, there was a great period of time for preparation and teaching in the Christian faith, and then on the Easter vigil, this was when they baptized everybody, there's all the catechumens, the learners, they had been in their baptismal gowns, they were baptized at the Easter vigil, and they, uh, they actually did exorcisms, they, they had them renounce Satan and spit to the west, and then turn to the east as a symbolic, I'm turning from darkness to light, they did exorcisms when it was needed, and cast out demons, they they dunked them in the water, brought them up, and the bishop or priest would anoint them with the oil like we do, and then they would call down the Holy Spirit to fill them and release the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. That's a biblical word, by the way, not just a kind of Christian that you don't like. They, they filled them with the charismata, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had, they had gifts flowing in the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus flowing in and through them. And I think what's happened historically is that we pulled baptism and made it an institutional outward ritual, and we don't call down the Holy Spirit anymore. And that's going to change at this church, friends. That's going to change at this church. We're going to gather around people when they get baptized and lay hands on them and ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill them up, and it's going to be awesome. Now, listen to this. This is... Um, this is Bishop Irenaeus of Lyon. He lived in the second century. So for our friends who say when the apostles died at the end of the first century, there were no more spiritual gifts. That's a false belief called cessationism. But a lot of Christians believe that because they are judging uh, their, their uh, theology based on their lack of experience of the spiritual gifts. Let me t- read you something from the second century. This is a bishop who this is what he experienced in the churches that he led, um, who's writing probably around the year 170 or 180. So this is after all the apostles are dead. He says this, those who are truly the Lord's disciples, okay? He says disciples, not apostles. Those who are truly the Lord's disciples perform miracles in his name for the well-being of others, according to the gift that each one has received from him. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently believe and join the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophecies. Still others heal the sick by laying their hands on them, and they are made whole. Yes, moreover, the dead have even been raised up and remain among us to this day. Okay? They, they, they were seeing what Jesus said that they would see. They would heal the sick. They would cleanse lepers. They would cast out demons and raise the dead. What happened? What happened? That's the question I'm wrestling with. I have some theories about it. But talk about a model for church growth. Empowered simply, no programs, no fancy buildings back then, nothing like that, simply empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ramsey McMullen, who was a, a professor, longtime professor of uh, history and classics at Yale University, in his research said, during the f- first four centuries of Christianity, life in the early church, the number one reason people converted to Jesus Christ is because they witnessed signs, wonders, and miracles, like people getting free of demons and people getting healed miraculously by Jesus. That, that, that's from a nerdy historical professor who has done his work, okay? Not someone who's got a theological agenda. It's incredible. Friends, I believe with all my heart that this is the kind of power God wants us to have today. And we're missing it. We're missing the generosity of God and what he wants to give us. Now, why is it that we're missing it? Why are we not seeing this? Let me share uh, a few things, a few reasons that I think. There are probably many. Number one is this. 
we are so distracted. We are so distracted. In 2018, the average time spent on social media daily was 144 minutes, two and a half hours of going like this on Facebook for, for the average human being. Now, I'm not condemning Facebook or social media. I'm just saying this is statistics. Now, listen to these statistics. In an average lifetime of somebody who lives for 72 years, um, shopping, we spend two years and two months of our life shopping. We spend three years and seven months of our lives eating and drinking. We spend six years and eight months of our lives on social media. We spend eight years and four months watching television. That one's depressing. Yeah, I'm guilty as other people, as everyone else. Sleeping, we sleep for 26 years and five months. <laughs> Some of us sleep for like 36 years. <laughs> Some of us who are coffee addicts sleep for like 13. Um, imagine if we spent half that time or even just a quarter of that time in prayer and seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and do the works of God that Jesus commanded us to do. Imagine. We are distracted. Number two is this. We don't ask. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter wrote this. You do not have because you do not ask. You see, we actually need to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't know if I got that when I was baptized as a baby or even as an adult. And I want it. Lord, I need you to touch me. I'm desperate to be filled. I don't have the boldness that I want. I don't have the intimacy with Jesus that I want. God said through Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, right? There is a seeking on our behalf that needs to happen. And number three, finally, the reason we don't experience it, and I think this is huge, especially in the Western church, is this, we're afraid of it. We think it will make us weird. I don't want to be like such and such denomination because they do this or they dance in their worship or they speak in tongues or whatever. We're, we're afraid because we've seen excessive emotionalism or we've seen some guy who's acting like a, a, a drunk monkey swinging from a chandelier saying he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore we say, that's not for me. That stuff's not for me. I'm just going to worship Jesus and go to church. I don't need all this Holy Spirit stuff. Friends, that's a, that's a mistake. You know, the reality is, is that God may actually touch you in a very powerful way when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. It is often the case. It is often the case. And it's extremely common, as I said, to speak prayers in another tongue when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of getting filled with the Spirit is not to get emotional. Emotions are sometimes the result of getting filled with the Holy Spirit. The purpose of getting filled with the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus' life and power flowing through you. Kind of like an electric current <clears throat> so that you can touch the rest of the world. You see, the reality is in biblical days in the early church, people worshipped with great exuberance and joy. They, they, they danced in their worship. They shouted. That's biblical worship. They wept and fell on their faces when they knew there were need for corporate repentance, for having wandered from God and ignored him. We're so conditioned in the West to be so dignified in our worship. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not against form and ritual, obviously. <laughs> but I'm against dead religion. Religion that has no life because there's no Holy Spirit. A great question to ask is if someone, uh, if your church disappeared, would anybody notice? In your community, 
Or when somebody came, when somebody comes and visits your church, do they walk away having experienced the spirit of God? Or do they just come and get a nice little dose of religion? Good old time religion. Come on. God has so much more for us, friends. So much more for us. You know, to be baptized, to be filled in the, with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with joy and to have deeper intimacy with Jesus. That's what it's about. Who wouldn't want that? There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid of. It's just Jesus. Like uh, C.S. Lewis says about Aslan, the lion, you know, he's the symbolic Jesus. He says, he's not safe, but he's good. Okay, that's how you need to think about getting filled with the spirit of Jesus. He's not safe, but he's good. Some of us need to be a little less safe in our lives. Amen. I was at this um, past week at our clergy conference in uh, for the diocese of central florida the episcopal church and we were at our conference center for three days out in oviedo had a great conference but um a couple of the priests they get together every year and they make something and they call it the sheet of shame and they put them out on the tables and it's the statistics over the last 10 years of every parish in the diocese all 88 parishes and missions in the diocese friends it was sad this year there are very few churches in the blue which means you're growing in the dark blue most churches are not growing and most churches on that sheet sheet are actually losing numbers. Our diocese lost over 900 people last year. And we are one of the, over the last 10 years or so, one of the only Episcopal dioceses in the U.S. that that are growing overall. So it's worse in other places. But that made me sad. That made me sad. And I truly believe the problem is that we are missing this fundamental thing. People are not living life empowered by the Holy Spirit. People are not seeking to be filled by Holy Spirit and to be filled with all the fullness of God, as St. Paul puts it. You see, it's not, oh man, we can have a new conference and talk about the new programs that we can do or better leadership skills or better preaching skills or this, that, and the other thing. But if we don't have him empowering us, we won't grow healthy. We just can't do it in our own strength, especially in a day and age like ours when the culture is so getting so more and more opposed to biblical Christianity and the authority of God's word. We won't have the boldness to preach the gospel and stand up for the truth without God in us allowing us to do that. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He's the spirit of truth. Now, let me give you some other statistics. Now, let it be said, I'm not trying to convert anyone to become Pentecostal. I don't want to lose any more parishioners. But listen to these statistics. An estimated 35,000 people join the Pentecostal church each day. Of the world's 2 billion Christians, a quarter of them are now Pentecostal. A quarter of 2 billion people. I can't do that math because I was never good at math. But that's a lot of people. Up from 6%. 6% of Christians were Pentecostal in 1980. Today in 2018, or in 2018, a quarter of the world's two billion Christians are Pentecostal. Now, what is my point? I'm telling you that we need to pay attention to what they're doing because they're reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And why is that? They believe in the Pentecostal experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and doing the work of mission and preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons. This is why so many, there are Catholic people who can't find a priest who will do an exorcism or do a deliverance and pray to get a a demonic oppression out of their life and they'll send them to the Pentecostal church because they'll do it effectively. So there's something to learn from uh, Christians of other uh, denominations and practices 
It's, it, there's, there's a major difference, you know, those statistics from our sheet of shame and what's happening in the Pentecostal where not every Pentecostal church is growing and blessed and, and all that. But what I'm saying is this, we're missing something, friends, not just Episcopalians. It's Christians all over the place, especially in the Western world. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to operate in his power, not my own. I can't operate in my own. I won't be effective. I just, I want more. I want more Jesus. That's what I want. I want to spend more time with him. I want to tell more people about him. People are perishing apart from him. I want people to come alive. I want to heal the sick and cast out demons and proclaim the gospel of freedom. That's what I want. Now, let me close with this. Just some practical things. How? (laughs) Some of you are thinking, hmm, this sounds good. (laughs) Number one, recognize your need. Recognize your need. We must recognize our need for the generosity of God who eagerly desires to pour out his spirit on us. He's not like up there going, convince me, convince me. He's like, please take it. It's a gift. It's not something you earn or merit because you're super spiritual. It's something that you are given as a gift because he wants to give it to you without measure. Number two is this, believe. You must believe God wants to pour himself out into you. It's a gift that he desires to give. Number three is ask. If you then, Jesus says, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Don't be afraid you won't get something if you ask for it. So much fear when it comes to this. There's so much fear in the church. What if it doesn't happen to me like the other guy that I talked to who who was shaking and felt like he had fire in his body? What if I don't get that? What if I don't get the gift of tongues? Don't be afraid. God will touch you in the way he wants to touch you when you show him that you eagerly desire it, that you hunger and thirst for it. And finally is this. Receive. Receive it. Get in your prayer space in solitude and begin to pour out your heart to God and say, I'm desperate. I need you. I haven't led anybody to Christ in the last 10 years or whatever it was for me. I haven't done anything. I'm, 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 I'm bogged down by certain sins that I just can't seem to shake off like a snake. I can't, it's biting my hand and I can't get them off. We need him. Get before him and pour out your heart. Cry out to him. He's a gracious father. He's, he's more eager to hear our prayers than we are to pray them. Or you can ask some people who you know are filled with the Holy Spirit to pray for you, to lay hands on you and pray for you. That's also a very biblical model. That's how St. Paul got it. Some lay person named Ananias, God sent him and God said, go lay hands on him. And Paul got filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, there's so many ways, there's so many things, but the important thing is that we believe that God is a God of generosity We open ourselves up to all that he wants to give us and we come alive for the sake of sharing Jesus with the world. Let's pray. Father, you have to give us an awareness of our desperation and our need for you to pour your spirit out into us. 
Lord, so many of us are missing this, God, and, and our lives, are, our spiritual lives are like a dry and a desert land because we just don't have the fullness that you want to give us, Lord. So I pray that you just give us a, a hunger in this congregation, Lord, I pray for specifically for a deeper hunger of life in the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you just take away every spirit of fear, God, because your word says you don't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound-mindedness. So, Lord, we pray for that blessing to just come and touch us as a congregation, that you would teach us what it looks like to receive the more of you that you desire to give us. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and we give you these prayers all in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.